Welcome again to the Practicing Resurrection podcast, a daily podcast from Ecclesia in Princeton designed to help you encounter the living voice of the living God through his living word. And this week we've been on a brief journey through the first five chapters of the Psalms, the first five prayers offered in what's collectively known as the Psalter. And I pray that this journey has been a gift to you. I pray that it's been an invitation to begin to allow the Psalms to be a part of your devotional life, a part of your cultivating a life with Jesus. And also an invitation to be fully human. That's what the Psalms are. Inviting us to put our full lives on the table before God with all of the good and all of the bad, all of the confused, all of the anger and hatred, all of the sense of betrayal, all the joy at God's salvation, to lay it all before him. And as we do that, we see God's works, his salvation, the things that he has done for us in the past, that the hope that we have in the future because of who he is. And today we arrive at Psalm chapter 5. And it's been our pattern throughout the week. I'm going to read the psalm for you and then read a brief reflection, one angle of interpretation, one angle of experience of this psalm from my own life. And then I'm going to invite you to meditate on a specific verse. So let us approach the word together, praying, come Holy Spirit, knowing that God draws near to us, that in him we live and we move and we have our very being. And so I invite you friends, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter five. Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. We are five psalms into the Psalter, and we have seen some of the currents that move the prayers of the people of God along. Flowing underneath the surface are the preeminence of God, His rule, His reign, rest as worship and rebellion, the temptation that we often feel to subvert God's authority by assuming His throne, and then there's the difficult matter of enemies. For Christians, 
Jesus instructed us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. But the Psalter is laden with vitriol and curses, often known as imprecations, all heaped upon the heads of our enemies. Here in Psalm 5, David prays, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of their many transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes that the Lord wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of him. David, on the other hand, seems ready to condemn all of his enemies to the grave. The Psalms then raise the question, How are we to pray these sorts of prayers and be faithful to Jesus who instructed us to love our enemies? The answers, as seems fitting, are as complicated as the question itself. I want to focus just on two angles to this difficult discussion. First, this is a psalm of David, famous in the Old Testament for being the one after God's own heart. A quick survey of David's life will yield many disturbing results that you would not encourage anyone to emulate. David is a violent man who builds his reputation around his ability to kill. David commits adultery, and really it's far worse than that, which leads him into a tangled conspiracy resulting in David doing what David is known for and what he himself thinks he does best, killing again. So how can one, at this best morally ambiguous and his worst morally reprehensible man, be seen as the one after God's own heart? Perhaps it's his feelings towards enemies that actually gives us a hint. David holds nothing back from God. He does not hold in reserve his most exuberant praise as he dances like a fool before the ark of God in front of all of his kingdom. Conversely, David does not try to hide He doesn't keep the dark corners of his heart from the light of God. He brings it all out into the open of God's all-seeing light. He bears his soul completely before God in complete trust and vulnerability. Is it not at least possible that this is the characteristic that the Spirit is beckoning us to pattern our own prayers and our own lives after? Perhaps this is what it means to be a woman or a man after God's own heart. The second thing I want to focus on today, the psalmist writes in verse 9, For there is no truth in their mouths. Their hearts are destruction. Their throats are open graves. They flatter with their tongues. The second angle that I want to address pertaining to enemies is around the very person of Jesus. Jesus is the one who Christians are to see as our pattern in the world. His words, His love, His beauty. So who are the enemies of Jesus? Perhaps this will give us insight into our own prayers regarding our enemies. Well, certainly, during his incarnate life recorded in the Gospels, there are many schemers scheming against Jesus, scribes, Pharisees, Herod, Pilate, all trying to be rid of Jesus. But when the temple guard comes to apprehend Jesus and Peter draws his sword to engage the apparent enemies of Jesus, Jesus stops his hand saying, Peter, those who live by the sword die by the sword. He even heals the ear of Malchus, one of the soldiers who Peter chops his ear, who assists in trying to arrest Jesus. Paul will say it this way in Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus' life, death, 
and resurrection reveal our enemies. Our enemies are not people, not even those who inflict violence upon us. Our enemies are sin and death to which those people are enslaved. Thus we pray. We pray that our true enemies, sin and death, would meet their final end as Jesus ultimately triumphs over them. And we pray that the people in our lives who may be acting as enemies would be liberated from the grip of their captors. We pray as Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. I want to invite you over the next couple of moments to reflect on this verse from Psalm chapter 5. In verse 7, it says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. As David considers the experience and the situation of the enemies around him, he knows his future is secure. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. Friends, as we sit here today, who are your enemies? Who are those who have truly done wrong to you or that truly you have conflict with? If you're able, and I know this is so hard, in this moment, would you just speak a word of blessing over them? And it could be as simple as, Lord, bless them. It may be all you can muster. But this, this simple yet world-changing act of words that are so counterintuitive to every force in the universe, the force of grace and of mercy, undoes the patterns of violence, the cycles of sin and death, and puts us in line with our beautiful Savior who prayed on the cross, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And so we pray a simple prayer of blessing over those who might, might be construed as enemies. And we know that because of the love of Jesus, because of what he has accomplished through the abundance of his steadfast love, that our inheritance, our life with him, his presence with us is secure, that through the abundance of his steadfast love, we will enter his house, that he goes to prepare a place for us, and that it is sure and certain. Like Lucia, Every day as we wrap up, we pray the words that Jesus gave us to pray. And they are particularly poignant as we consider this call to enemy love. And so we pray these world-shaping words. We pray these words that move heaven and bring God's very life into our own. We pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ecclesia, I pray this journey through the first five psalms has been a gift. I look forward to being back together on Monday. I'm excited about some of the friends that we have coming uh, to offer some words of devotion and meditation to invite us to cultivate a life with Jesus. 
Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. Grace and peace to you.